Thank you, Amy, for that ministry of music. We have studied, started our study in the book of Thessalonians, and I said that we are going to begin by taking a few weeks to get an overview of the book to see how the major themes interact. I used an illustration of being on vacation at Niagara Falls and taking a series of pictures, some that were zoomed out to see the beautiful rainbow and the falls, and then a narrower look to see the falls themselves, and still a narrower look to see the spray that is coming up from the bottom as the falls hit the water below, and then you can get close enough to the falls if you uh, walk behind them, or if you uh, take the uh, boat uh, to get closer, you can actually feel the mist, and you can get wet if you want to, and that's our desire to be drenched in the Word of God as we take a closer view. So we're going to begin by zooming out and looking at major themes in the book of Thessalonians, and then coming back and looking at much greater detail, verse by verse. But this morning we focus on the Thessalonians and the severe persecution that they were under. And last week as we looked at the founding of the church, we noticed that persecution that they were experiencing. And the persecution became so severe that it appears they began to question God's love for them and even their own salvation. Was this severe persecution a sign of God's judgment? A sign of God's displeasure? Why would these things be happening to them? And there evidently was a concern that it meant that there was something deficient about their faith or about what it was that they were believing towards the Lord Jesus Christ, that perhaps they, in fact, were experiencing God's judgment. So Paul writes to them to reassure them of God's love for them and acceptance of them. If you look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul reassures them that they are indeed loved by God. Knowing, brethren, be loved by God. Or, and I be loved by God. Or the beloved in the King James. These are people who are loved by God. And not only that, but he knows that they are loved by God. And that the Thessalonian believers will not experience God's judgment. Because they are a part of God's elect chosen unto salvation. Verse 4. Knowing, brethren beloved by God, His choice of you. And I mean that He has chosen you, or King James, your election of God. Because God had chosen them, it's demonstration that He loves them. And because He has chosen them, it's demonstration that they will not experience God's judgment but rather experience God's salvation. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, which is really a culmination of that argument, it says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's determined end for us is not wrath, but it is salvation through the person of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the question is, 
how does Paul know that the Thessalonians are, in fact, a part of God's elect? How can you look around and determine if a person is, in fact, an elect individual of God? Do they look funny? Do they have a mark in their forehead? How do you know this morning that God has chosen you unto salvation? It is a wonderful comfort because God has chosen us. It means He loves us and it means that He is determined to save us. So we don't have to fear His judgment or wrath. But we are going to be saved. But how can we know that we are part of God's elect. For it says in verse 4, Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. Paul says, I know that God has chosen you. So, how does he know that? How does he know that? Well, it's told us in verse 5. How does Paul know that that, uh, God has chosen them? Because... Their response to the Word of God was produced by the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 For, also can be translated because, this is how he knows, for or because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I know that when the gospel was preached to you, It wasn't just words that was communicated. But along with the communication of truth was a work of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit took that word, the gospel, and changed your heart and life in such a demonstrable way that it demonstrates that this word came to you in power. So now Paul is going to unfold in the book of Thessalonians how you can see God at work in people that respond to the gospel. So these are the ways in which Paul knows that the the Holy Spirit was at work in those that had trusted the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. First, Paul is sure that the Holy Spirit was at work in producing the Thessalonians' response to the gospel because Paul had relied on the Holy Spirit and not in human devices when he preached the gospel. So Paul is going to unfold. How does he know that the Holy Spirit was at work when he preached the gospel? Answer, because he relied upon the Holy Spirit and not human devices in order to gain a response. Their response to the gospel is solely attributable to the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul, with a great degree of intentionality, relied solely, and that's the key word, solely, on the Holy Spirit in order for people to respond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not muddy the waters. Notice in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, it says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, 
but also in power in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, we know what it means because of the way in which Paul uses that same phrase elsewhere. Namely, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Paul says, I preach to you not relying on man's wisdom, that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. That the response would not be a result of a work of man, which is eventually going to come to nothing, but rather that it would be a fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now notice how Paul unfolds this uh, thought. Paul purposefully preached in such a way that when his hearers heard the gospel, they would respond out of a work of the Holy Spirit and not out of the persuasive powers or trickery of Paul. If you look with me at 1 Thessalonians 2.13, we have the bookends to this particular theme. And for this reason, we constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. They accepted the gospel not as Paul's word, but as God's word. They had believed that the message that Paul was delivering was, in fact, God's message. Why? How does he know that they believed it was God's message and not man's message? Answer, because of the way that he presented it. We find out in our text that they were fully convicted or convinced as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 of chapter 1. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Full conviction. They were confident, completely confident, that what they were hearing was the word of God. Paul intentionally relied upon the preaching of the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit to produce faith in individuals and did not use human tricks or manipulation. And notice with me, if you would, chapter 2. As Paul gives a number of examples of how with intentionality he did not try to manipulate people into making a response to the gospel. First, Paul preached the truth, not error, in order to gain a favorable response. First lesson is 2-3. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. Paul had not lied to them. Paul had not misled them. Paul had not either added to the gospel or taken from the gospel something that would have been not well received. He spoke the truth. He gave to them the gospel. 
And he did not practice trickery. Notice at the end of verse 3. It does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. He did not trick them into making a response so that they were confused. And he was able to get them to, to make a profession of faith. Sometimes people want others to raise their hand or to walk forward. There's not anything wrong with walking forward or raising your hand as long as people know what they're doing. As long as they understand what it is that's being asked of them. As long as they are not manipulated into making a response. And Paul says, I didn't trick anybody into making a response. Next, Paul did not use empty praise to get a favorable response. Verse 5, for we never came with flattering speech. He didn't butter them up. He didn't try to make them feel good about themselves and thus feel good about Paul and therefore respond because of this mutual relationship that had been established between Paul and his hearers. They weren't doing this out of a favor to Paul. Next, Paul did not appeal to their baser instincts, such as promising them financial gain in order to gain a favorable response. Verse 5, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know. I'm in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 5. As you know, nor with the pretext for greed. I didn't come preaching you a gospel with the intent that I would appeal to your greed. And the reason you would respond is because of greed. There is out there what is being referred to as a health and wealth gospel in which that very thing is happening. People are appealing to the greed in others and telling them if they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're going to get rich or they're never going to be sick. And people respond to that message not wanting to be sick and wanting to be rich. Paul says, that's not what I did. That was not what motivated people's response. Next, Paul did not come touting or promoting his own authority in order to get a favorable response. Verse 6, nor do we seek glory from men. Though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. Paul didn't say, believe this because of who I am and what I say. But he relied upon the authority of God. Paul did not use intimidation to frighten them into a favorable response. Verse 7. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. He didn't threaten them in any way that they'd better make him a profession of faith or look out. Or look out. So Paul is convinced that their response to the gospel is a sincere and true response as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit because he relied totally upon the Holy Spirit to bring about the results and didn't rely upon human persuasiveness or techniques or ideas in order to solicit the response from someone else. This is very important. 
Because it is, it is possible for people to make professions of faith that are not genuine, that are not real, that are not sincere. And we don't want to just promote people making professions of faith. We really want people to be born again. We really want people to have a saving relationship to Jesus Christ. We just don't want to put notches on our evangelistic gun handle of the numbers of people that have made professions of faith. We want it to be real. And Paul was sure that it was real because of his approach, because of his methodology. Application. We should not seek to manipulate people in making professions of faith. We should not be appealing purely to their emotions and get people worked up so that they are ready to respond to a message like a pep rally. And you have a spiritual pep rally going on and getting people excited or many times getting people down and frustrated or crying or weeping because of the way in which the gospel is presented and they're lonely. And they hear about Jesus who will be their friend. Jesus who will be their comforter. Jesus who will be their helper. Jesus who will take them away from their depression and their despondency. And all they need to do is come to Jesus and they will no longer wrestle with these thoughts of inadequacy or insufficiency or loneliness. And they come in order not to be lonely but not out of a a penitence for sin or a trust in an almighty Savior. Or drawn out appeals that just go on and on and on and harangue people into making professions of faith. We should be careful that we don't twist the arms of our children to make professions of faith. We should be careful that we don't manipulate them. We need to think carefully about the kind of language we use such as a three-year-old or a four-year-old. And I firmly believe a three-year-old or a four-year-old can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. But we need to be careful that we don't say such things as, you know, it would make mommy and daddy so happy if you would trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Well, that might be true. It would make mommy and daddy very happy if they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. But maybe the only reason they would pray that prayer is to make mommy and daddy happy. Not because the Spirit of God has done a work in their life. We need to be careful about the way that we appeal to individuals to trust in Jesus Christ. We need to allow the work of the Holy Spirit to do His work. Allow the Spirit of God to bring an individual to conviction, to a place where they say, I need the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Paul says, I know your election. Because that's what I did. I relied upon the Holy Spirit. Next, Paul is convinced that the Holy Spirit was at work when the Thessalonians responded to the Gospel due to the circumstances under which they received the Gospel. The Holy Spirit gave them joy despite the fact that they would experience trouble as a result of believing the gospel. Now I'm back to 1 Thessalonians 1.6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, and now these words, having received the word in much tribulation 
with joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, notice the emphasis is on the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit was able to do was to give them joy over the gospel message, even in the times of tribulation. Some translate it as affliction, hardship. It probably has primarily in view the persecution that they were experiencing. And even in the midst of persecution, even though they knew that if they would trust the gospel, it was going to bring some difficulties and hardships to their life, they made professions of faith anyway, which was a demonstration of the joy of the Holy Spirit. Paul did not sugarcoat the gospel and its implications. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. 1 Thessalonians 3, 2. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. How do they know that? Verse 4. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we we're going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, as you know. Paul said, when I was with you, I kept telling you, I repeatedly said to you that if you are going to believe the gospel, hard times are going to come into your life. If you're going to respond to this message, you need to be aware that it's going to bring difficulty. It's going to bring hardship. You need to know that it's going to bring persecution. It's not exactly the best sales tactic. You don't usually tell people all the problems. You know, here's this used car for sale. And oh, by the way, the brakes don't work. The engine doesn't run too well. It's got four flat tires. And it's got a list of these problems. But, you know, I really think you ought to buy it anyway. Uh, That's not usually how it's done. And Paul tells them up front that if you respond to the gospel message, it just very well mean, and probably will mean, and in your instance, knowing what's taking place, it's going to mean difficulties and hardships. And they responded anyway. They responded anyway. In the parable of the sower and the seeds, there is a parable of the Word of God that's sown on different kinds of soil. And listen to the description of the Word of God that is sown on rocky ground. Mark 4.16 And in a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on rocky places, who when they heard the Word immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the Word, immediately they fall away. Now, when the persecution came to the Thessalonian church, they didn't fall away. Why not? 
Because when they heard the message, they received it with joy, knowing that the affliction and persecution and hardships were coming. They went into this with their eyes wide open. And as a result, and as a result, Paul says, it's a demonstration of the work of the Holy Spirit in your lives. We need to be honest about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, it does not mean, it does not mean that you will never be sick. You will never be unhappy. You will never be lonely. I know a lot of unhappy, lonely, and sick Christians. And every Sunday, we're praying for somebody who's in the hospital. Somebody is going through hardship. Somebody is going through difficulty. That's not the gospel. And if you think it is, when that trouble comes, you're going to fall away. You're going to be disillusioned. You are going to be discouraged. It wasn't too long ago I received a phone call from an individual who had been taught that as long as they had faith, that they could get over a particular situation in their life. And they said, Pastor, they never met me, never knew, don't know anything about me, but said, you know, I heard you're a good teacher of the Scripture and I just want to know. Because I've been exercising all kinds of faith and said, but I still have this problem. And I said, you may die with that problem. And it isn't just about your faith. It's about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. They knew and understood that message. And Paul says, I know that you are elect. I know that the Holy Spirit has done a work in your life because this is not the way that a person apart from the Holy Spirit responds. A person apart from the Holy Spirit wants no part of persecution. Wants no part of some kind of problem. You know, the, 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 the truth of the matter is that if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you accept Christ as your Savior, in some ways your life may get worse. You may all of a sudden find that you and your spouse are at odds about getting, about where you're going, about how you're living, about how you're raising your children. And all of a sudden you may find that you have differences or you may find that it creates problems between you and your children because of this newfound faith and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't always mean that everything gets rosy or cheerier. It actually can create difficulty. But the person who believes in the power of the Holy Spirit to work in the life of an individual will be honest. Because they will understand that salvation is accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of an individual. The Thessalonians were rooted in the Holy Spirit. So we must be honest about the way that we present the Christian life. Not all our troubles and difficulties will go away when you accept Christ as your Savior. And I said in some ways they, they just begin. We have to be honest in the way in which we relate our faith to our co-workers, to our neighbors. Present to them the way life really is. 
Christianity with all its strengths and glories and joys and all its warts and hardships and difficulty. Next, Paul is convinced that the Holy Spirit was at work when the Thessalonians responded to the gospel due to the change that had taken place in their lives. When they believed in Lord Jesus Christ, they became a transformed people. Back to 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the Corinthians, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11 chapter 1. So Paul said, when you believed in Lord Jesus Christ, you made me your example and I've made Christ my example. Therefore, you have made me and Christ your example. And as a result, they became example to the believers. Verse 7. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Everybody could look to the Thessalonians. And they proved to be a model of how a believer conducts themselves. They had been spreading the gospel. Verse 8. And we'll look at these things in much greater detail in the weeks to come. But we're just getting an overview. They had been spreading the gospel, verse 8, for the word of God has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Caia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. They had left their idol worship behind and turned to God, verse 9, for they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, how you received the word, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. How they had ceased their idol worship and practices. And now we're serving God. The change in their life was dramatic. And Paul says, it is demonstration that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. Because you have brought about these changes... In your life. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9 and 10. Now it's the love of the brethren. We have no need for anyone to write to you. For yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you to excel more and more. The change was wrought by the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.6 That does not mean that we become sinless or perfect when we accept Christ as our Savior. It doesn't mean that we are without our faults. It doesn't mean that we aren't without our struggles. It doesn't mean that people can't find within our lives inconsistencies. But it does mean that if I know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, the Spirit of God is at work in me, bringing about conviction, bringing about understanding, and I am slowly... By the grace of God and out of a desire to please him, seeing changes wrought in our lives so that we aren't what we once were. And the Thessalonians aren't what they they once were. Next, Paul is convinced that the Holy Spirit is at work in the Thessalonians' When they respond to the gospel because they continue to want to be instructed. First Thessalonians 4 verse 1. 
Finally then, brethren, here's the conclusion of the matter. Finally, brethren, here's the, the, the main point of this whole diatribe. Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more and more. The person who has the Spirit directing him is, his or her life welcomes the truth of God's work. Notice 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 and 8. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Remember, Paul said back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, that your faith did not rest in men, but in the power of God. So he comes to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 8 and says, those people who reject what the Word of God says about Christian living demonstrate that they have rejected the Word of God and are taking this as the Word of men. They are refusing to listen because they don't really ascribe the power to that Word. Paul says, I know that when I teach you about Christian living, you're going to accept it because the people who accept the Word of God accept the instruction. And the people who don't accept the Word of God aren't going to accept the instruction. So he's confident. Knowing their confidence in the Word of God that they are going to follow his instruction that's filled with comfort and encouragement and joy and how to live the Christian life. Because they have received the message as the Word of God. There is no greater foundation to our understanding of the Gospel than to start with the foundation of the Word of God. The Bible is not merely the product of human thinking, of mankind's joint wisdom, or the good ideas and suggestions of human beings. The Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is what teaches us what the Gospel is. And accepting the Gospel as the Word of God, it means then we believe it, we follow it, we obey it. And Paul says, that's how I know. That you are a part of God's elect. That's how I know the Holy Spirit has done a work in your life. Because these are not the products of human ingenuity or trickery. This is a product of the Holy Spirit. These five things. Paul had relied upon the Holy Spirit and bring the Thessalonians to faith and not his own ingenuity. Paul could see the joy that the Holy Spirit had produced in them when they received the gospel despite the persecution that was coming to them on its account. 
Paul could see the change that was taking place in their hearts and in their lives. Paul could see that the Thessalonians wanted to receive further instruction and to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we are able to see those characteristics in others, we can say, we can say, I know that they are a part of God's elect. I can see the Holy Spirit at work in the life of this individual. I can see that a God who has a purpose and a reason before the foundation of the earth has revealed themselves to this person. And they have a relationship to God that isn't just based on human thinking and on human relationships. But it's based upon the work of God in their lives. For this kind of fruit is only produced by the Holy Spirit. Everything else will dry up. Everything else will fall away. People won't persevere. People won't keep on in their relationship with God if it is not a result of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of an individual. A person needs to be born again. A person needs to be a new creation. A person needs to be a changed person. That only happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. But that Holy Spirit can take the Word of God and apply it to the life of an individual. And when the work of God, when the Holy Spirit is at work in the life of an individual... The circumstances don't matter. The eloquence of the speaker doesn't matter. The difficulties in their own personal life don't matter. When the person is convicted by the Holy Spirit, they take this message, they say, I believe that. I trust in Jesus Christ. I want Him to be my Lord and Savior. And they're saved. And we can see it. And that is tremendously comforting. Because that means you will never be forsaken. That means you will never experience the judgment of God. That means He loves you and He cares for you. That means that He will watch over and He will protect you. That means... You have a relationship with God that others don't. Only those who truly know Him as Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for Your Spirit. For we know that it is only Your Spirit that is able to take that Word and apply it to our hearts in such a way that we are born again. No one can cause another person to be born again. It's only your spirit. So, Lord, help us, first of all, in our desire to see other people come to faith. Guard our own hearts that we rely upon the Holy Spirit. And that we don't feel it necessary 
to change the gospel so that people will receive it. Lord, it's a message of heaven and hell. An unpopular message. But those for whom the Spirit of God is working, people will accept it. People will respond to it. Lord, guard us in our thinking that we are so wise that we depart from Your Word in order to make it more palatable. In order to make it more acceptable. In order that more people will believe it and receive it. Lord, help us to rely upon the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us not to just try to come up with some new gimmick and some ingenious approach that is going to wow people into the kingdom of God. But Lord, help us to realize that it is possible to manipulate people into making responses, but it's not possible to manipulate them into the kingdom. Even as Will Rogers has said, the man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Lord, apart from the Holy Spirit to work, people may make momentary professions of faith, but will soon fall away when difficulty or hardship comes. Lord, I thank you that we live in a, in a, a world where we don't experience tremendous persecution. There certainly are places around this world where when people make professions of faith, they actually have to fear for their lives. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in faraway lands who today are trusting in Jesus Christ, though it may count and cost them their lives. Thank you for the work of your spirit and thank you for the boldness of those missionaries to take that gospel message to that person. And Lord, though we don't know persecution and hardship in this country, help us to realize there may be ramifications for our families there may be issues that we face at work. There may be problems that have to be addressed with our friends. But help us to see that a person in whom the Spirit of God is working will not allow those things to keep them from placing faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us to rely upon you. Help us to realize that the most effectual way that we can present the gospel is by praying. For people and praying for the Spirit of God to work. Lord, work among us and assure us in our own hearts before you and bring conviction to us by your Spirit, not by the influence and power and persuasiveness of a human being. So, Lord, help us to trust you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.